Good morning, Wilton Hills. Good morning, Wilton Hills online. Good to be sharing this moment with all of you. I'm Greg Boyd, uh, the senior pastor at Wilton Hills Church. Uh, and it really is just so good to come together and, and share this moment. Uh, that, that worship said, uh, I really got blessed. That last song in particular, uh, we, we, we are part of a kingdom that the foundations of which cannot be shaken. It cannot be shaken. And the shakier the world gets, the more precious that unshakable foundation becomes. Amen? Uh, Jesus says, make sure that you're building your house on the solid foundation. So when the storm comes, it doesn't come crashing in. And uh, I encourage us all to be building a house on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because that's the one thing in this whole world that can't be shaken. Everything else is shakable. A lot of it is shaken. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. Uh, but uh, I'm glad I... Know the one unshakable foundation, and I'm standing on that. And that can give you a piece that passes understanding. Before I get into the message, I want to uh, give a shout-out to Emily, who did such a fantastic job last week. What, if you, it, that girl, I tell you, she is, uh, I don't know, there's just the, 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 the vulnerability she brings to her message, the passion she brings to it, and just... Uh, her quirky personality, she's just got it going on, and she's such a gift to, to us at Woodland Hills. So thank you, Emily, for delivering that, that, that really uh, excellent word last week. If you didn't hear that message, I encourage you to get it. It's uh, the most depressing sermon you'll ever hear. Uh, she, she bragged on that. But she recovered, and so it actually has a really good uh, upbeat ending to it. So check it out. Okay, so a lot of us, I'm sure most of us, probably all of us, have heard of some of the war crimes that are have been committed in the Ukraine. Um, as the Russian forces have invaded, we've just heard about these atrocities. Um, civilians just being targeted and murdered, raped, tortured. Uh, it's just unthinkable stuff. And that's the kind of stuff that sometimes happens in war. But we've got laws against that. Uh, the Geneva Convention, we've signed, all the nations signed on to this uh, code of ethics in wartime. And so it's, you're not supposed to do that kind of terrible stuff. At the same time, it's, it's probably, if we're realistic about things, it's, it's not likely that many of the perpetrators of these crimes will ever face justice. Or that Putin, who's the mastermind behind this whole debacle, that, that he'll ever be brought to justice. He might be charged with war crimes, but uh, does anyone really believe he'll be brought to court before World War III happens? I mean, it's just... So, the reality is, is that in this world, there's a whole lot of things that go on that are just terrible and unthinkable, but the perpetrators do not get justice. So they don't, they're not held to account. And so you have to draw one of two conclusions. Maybe you believe that's the whole story. And when we die, we just end. And so in the end, we live in a universe that just is unjust. It's an unfair place, and justice is never done. It's an amoral universe. Of course, if we live in an amoral universe where there's no objective sense of right or wrong or anything, you've got to wonder how it evolved creatures like us that are passionately think otherwise, that it shouldn't be amoral. We, 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 at the core of our being, if you're at all healthy, you believe that good should overcome evil and, and, and that we have a role to play in that. But uh, how could a universe that's totally amoral evolve beings that are so out of sync with it? But that's not my message for this morning. That's for a different sermon. Uh, but that's one of the options you can believe, okay? That, that, that tells the whole story. Injustice is the final word. Or you believe that there's more to the story. You believe that uh, 
Our stories and the story of creation goes on past this present age. And the other option is to believe that, that whatever justice is denied here will be administrated there. So in the end, justice will be done. Um, in, the, in, in, in this version of, this, of the universe, um, you believe that, that the reason why we have this sense of justice, which is inexplicable if we're in an amoral universe, but we have the sense of justice because we're made in the image of God who is just. And you believe that because God is the creator of the world, God can ensure that there will come a time in the end where grace will be available to all who are willing to receive it, and good will be rewarded, and evil will be punished and ultimately destroyed. If you believe that there's a moral God who created this whole thing, you've got to believe in a final judgment, a final reckoning, where the moral scales of the universe are finally balanced. And see, that's what I believe, and so I... I don't, I'm not frustrated over the fact, or not too frustrated over the fact that these war criminals aren't going to see, be held to account in this lifetime because I believe they will be held to account. It's just a matter of time. Uh, and so it is for all war criminals and all evildoers throughout history. There will be, the, the balances, the scales will be balanced. And that's what the final judgment is all about. As I see it, it's, it's God setting the world right. The final judgment, you can also call it the final justice. The final justice of God. Things are finally made right. The question is this. Do we trust God to do that? Do we, do we trust God in his role as judge? We, we've seen in this series that we're, we're called to live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us, right? And, and, and to do that, we've got to set aside all of our judgments, all of our negative assessments of others' people's worth in order to agree with God that every person has unsurpassable worth and was worth Jesus dying for. So as the Bible tells us over and over and over again, we're to leave all judgment with God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's not our role to play at all. Leave all judgment to God. But see, to do that, we've got to trust God. We've got to trust that he's a competent judge. He'll do the right thing. So we don't have to do it. On the other hand, when we are involved in negative judgments of others, it's a clear indication that we're not trusting God. To be a competent judge. That's why we pick up the mantle ourselves. In fact, James tells us that when we judge others, we're actually judging the law and we're actually judging God. As I showed some weeks ago, plenty of scriptures indicate that when we judge others, we're actually playing the role of God, since only God is the legitimate judge. We're saying, God, we are not trusting you to carry out judgment. So we take it upon ourselves to do that. We don't want to wait for, for justice at the end of the age. We want be the administrators of justice now, at least in our own heads, so we have the jury and the judge and the executioner all going on in our brain, and we judge people. We look down on them, and we do it because it, it, it makes us feel a little superior. makes us feel a little better. Uh, we're not leaving judgment for God. We're owning it for ourselves right now. And see, that is what is called eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's the foundational sin of the Bible, and it's a really big deal because that negative judgment is behind all the sins that we commit on one another, that humans perpetrate against one another. So in light of this, the need for us to totally trust God to be judge, as we're going through this series on cross-examination, it, it began to seem to me that we need to have some messages just on God as judge and what it means to trust that God is judge. And so uh, we're going to take a couple messages here, maybe a couple dozen messages here. It's not pre-scripted very much, and, and so we don't know where this is going to go, but... Um, 
just feeling the need to like talk about the nature of God's judgment uh, and to confront some misconceptions that people have about uh, the nature of God's judgment. Uh, to talk about um, how it relates to God's love and how God's grace. How does God's wrath and God's love comport together? Uh, and, and what does this have to do with the end of history and end times and, and, and things of that sort? I want to look at how the final judgment is, a, is, is the necessary precursor to God establishing the new heavens and the new earth. Because everything in this world that is inconsistent with the love of God has got to be purged away before we can bring about the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal unending reign of God. Do we trust God to do that? And I want to look at how the cross is the lens by which God views us. Uh, and, and, and so just as we are to be viewing others through the lens of the cross, that's why we're calling this cross-examination. We're to see everybody through the lens of the cross. So also the cross is the criteria, we'll show this later on, by which we come into the judgment of God. Uh, the only question that will be answered here is to what degree is our life conformed to the image of the crucified Christ? To what degree do we reflect that kind of other-oriented, self-sacrificial love? Um, and so we're, we, we decided to include this in our series on cross-examination rather than having a new series, even though we're kind of going in a new direction here uh, with the judgment of God. But just as we are to be aware that we're, we're to be cross-examining others, looking at others through the lens of the cross, so we need to be aware that we, are, we, we will be cross-examined. Cross being the criteria by which God will... Decide what is purified in our life and what gets burned away. One other thing I want to say before I jump in, and that is that this feels really weird to me. Uh, I'll be honest with you, it feels weird, uh, but it also feels really right. It feels a little bit weird because the judgment of God, the final judgment, um, more specifically, is not something I've talked on much. Here and there, I haven't avoided the topic, but it hasn't been like a, a real hobby horse of mine. And on end time stuff, I have said next to nothing. Uh, except to maybe answer some questions. I've always described myself as sort of a pan-millennialist. It will all pan out in the end. So I don't have a detailed eschatology. But we haven't talked about that at all. And now I'm feeling this fire. This fire to talk about the meaning of the judgment of God, the final judgment, uh, the restoration of all things, the second coming of Jesus. I, 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 it's, it, it's, it's burning inside of me. Um, and for several reasons, and some of it is just maybe inexplicable, but I just feel like the Spirit's leading in this direction. But uh, I feel like I've got some new insights into this that, that I, that I want to share. Um, I'm also just very aware of just how, when it comes to, when people think about the judgment of God, some of the most atrocious images of God you can imagine come to mind, even though they really believe that Jesus on the cross is the definitive revelation of God. When it comes to thinking about the final judgment or something like that, all sorts of terrible images get evoked in their brains. And so it's not surprising that they have trouble trusting that God to be a competent judge. I'm also aware that it just feels like the timing for this is right. The timing feels right. Maybe this is the kind of thing that's kind of driving this. You know, Carl Jung in, uh, I think it was 1938, famous psychoanalytic thinker, um, he, was, he was writing in Germany, and, and, and he, he makes this comment in this one essay he wrote, he says, the, it, the, the spirit of Wotan has descended on us. Now, Wotan is this uh, German, ancient Germanic deity. Uh, kind of represents the spirit of the German people. And uh, what, what, what Jung was talking about is that he, he, he was saying that there's, there's been an atmospheric change. And a, a lot of people have noticed it. As Germany was now under the reign of the Nazis and is heading towards the 
extermination of the Jews, and they're heading in that direction, 1938, a lot of people had a sense that, man, something is going on here. The spirit of Wotan has descended, he said. Um, well, it, it, in some ways, it feels like something has changed in our current world. And a lot of people are sensing that. Um, this has been an atmospheric change. I, I think Emily named it so well last week. Emily, when she just went on that kind of tirade about all that's wrong with this world. And, 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 and she was dead on. I mean, it, 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 it seems like things just get worse and worse at a faster and faster rate. And the, the polarization and all the hatred and democracy now being, being threatened. And, and, and how do you co- co- pull back from this? The social chaos, the mass shootings, uh, the global warming, and, and all the rest. And she just knows how it's just piling up and piling up. And it seems relentless. And it's true. It, it, it's, it, it's been that way for the last couple of years. I remember back in 2019, everyone was saying, Oh, I can't wait to get out of 2019 to get 2020. It'll be so good. 2020 sucks. So then we're saying, oh, I can't wait till 2021. Well, that wasn't a stellar year either. So then we're thinking, oh, I can't wait for 2022. Well, how's it going this year? <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's the, like, is this the new normal? Is this the new normal? It might be. And so a number of people have, have just noted how uh, there has, over the last couple of decades, but especially over the last couple of years, been a, a, an, almost an apocalyptic mindset setting in on some people. Um, apocalyptic just means it refers to you know, a mindset where you, you view the, the, the end of the world as you know it and the coming judgment of God is something that's, that's really imminent. I'll say more about that in a moment. And people have noted that there's just this kind of uh, pessimism that is descending on a lot of people uh, about the future. The world as we know it, it feels like it's wobbling. It's, it's, it's shaky. Chaos seems to be increasing in intensity and frequency. And, and in fact, 90, I read this, this essay Sometime ago, 97% of all climatologists, they disagree on all sorts of things about, you know, the speed of, of the warming and, and whatever. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in, in this series as well. But, but they all agree on this, that in all probability, and in science you can only talk about probabilities. So this could reverse itself tomorrow. Uh, you know, maybe there's things we don't understand. But in all probability, based on the evidence we have now, you can expect that extreme weather events will continue to intensify at a quicker and quicker rate. The climate will get worse and worse at a faster and faster rate into the foreseeable future, and that's the scary part. Uh, where does this end? Um, but it just contributes to the sense that this, this world is, is, is shaky. So when you turn on TV and you hear, as you're hearing lately, about a third of the news is on weather events, on the fires that are going on, the droughts that are going on, the flooding that's going on, it's occupying more and more of the news. Well, that is the new normal, in all probability, except that you can expect that to get worse and worse and worse. Yippee! Such a chipper creature here this morning. But it brings me to the first point I want to make, and the only point I want to make this morning, about the final judgment or the final justice of God. And that is this, that the New Testament was birthed in a social milieu that, that, that had the same kind of feel as ours does, but maybe it was a little bit more intense. And we may get there. But in the first century, this is what's called the apocalyptic view. It was, it was born in this apocalyptic period where, where folks had a sense that the world as they knew it was getting pretty shaky. And the Jews interpreted this as, as, as a coming judgment of God, which would involve the world as they know it coming to an end, which simply means that the judgment of God is simply God allowing the world to collapse under the weight of its own sin. That's the judgment of God. But he had a sense that that was, that, that, that was coming quickly. 
That God was going to purge the world of all that was inconsistent with his character in order to establish the world that is consistent with his character, which is the new heavens and the new earth, which will never end. Uh, they had this, this sense that um, this could happen in their lifetime. This final judgment as a precursor to the establishment of God's glorious kingdom. They anticipated this is happening in their lifetime. And you see this throughout the New Testament. It's an aspect of the New Testament that I haven't talked on very much at all in the last 30 years, and I repent of that, because uh, I'm now seeing that it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an important, essential part of the faith of the New Testament. But they all thought this was going to happen in their lifetime. So uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Jesus in Matthew 24. Now Jesus is here talking about what looks like the end of the world. He's um, talking about how uh, uh, as, as you're approaching the end, this, this, the coming of the Son of Man and this judgment upon the world, he's saying that uh, you'll see the hill about wars and rumors of wars and nations will rise up against nation. And there's going to be famines and there's going to be droughts and pestilence you know, and, and be social unrest and chaos going on. And, 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 and it, 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 it says, this is all a precursor to seeing the Son of Man coming in glory. And then he says this, starting with verse 32 of Matthew 24. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know the summer is near. So also when you see all these things that he just talked about, this chaos intensifying, when you see all these things, you know that he is near, son of man returning, at the very gates. Surely I tell you, this, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will, will, will not pass away. This generation. He's telling them the world as you know it is going to come to an end in this generation, in your lifetime. And while there will be signs of this happening, if you're looking for it, you know the summer's nearing because summer-like things are starting to happen. Uh, while there will be signs of, uh, that, that, that this is ramping up for those who have eyes to see it, when it happens, it's going to happen suddenly, like a thief in the night. In fact, Jesus tells a number of parables that have this very point, to be watching, to be ready, to be on guard. Uh, the bridegroom could return at any moment, or the landowner could return at any moment, depending on what parable you're talking about. But they all have this sense of urgency to stay awake. Because when the end comes, it's going to come quickly. So stay vigilant. And they expected this to happen in their lifetime. You find that throughout the rest of the New Testament as well. This anticipation that Jesus could return at any time. And the final judgment, the purging of the world could happen at any time, which means that the glorious establishment of God's glorious kingdom could happen at any time. And they expected that. They looked forward to that. Paul even says in 1 Thessalonians 4, explicitly says, not everyone will die before the return. He just was sure that this is all going to happen in one generation. That's why you find later on in the later letters of the New Testament, as they get 30, 40 years away from after Jesus ascended and people are dying off, you find people starting to ask the question, what's taking them so long? What's taking them so long? They all expected this to happen in their lifetime. So when they thought about the final judgment, and this is what we're, I think the New Testament faith differs from, from, from ours, probably where most of us are at, and that is that when they thought about the final judgment, it wasn't some vague, way in the distant thing that's going to happen. They thought about it as something that they anticipated in their lifetime. Now the question is this. There's actually two questions I want to ask. One, were they wrong? And two, what does it mean for us? What, is, what implications does this have for us that they lived with this expectation? Were they mistaken? 
on the surface, you could make the case that they, it seems like they were mistaken. Because they talk about the world as though it was going to end, and the world didn't end. And the final judgment didn't come. And so far as I can tell, we're not yet on the new heavens and the new earth. All right? So it seems like they were mistaken. On the other hand, maybe they weren't. Uh, there's a number of ways of interpreting this. Uh, I'm just going to, I only have time to share the right one. Okay? So the one that makes the most sense to me. But here's, N.T. Wright, one of my favorite authors, uh, and a number of other scholars who specialize in apocalyptic thought, the New Testament thought, um, they make the case that when Jesus and the disciples and others, even people outside the scripture, when they use, uh, speak about the language of wars and rumors of wars and, and the blood or the, the sun turning dark and the moon turning to blood and stars falling from the sky and earthquakes and famines and all that, they, they were trying to express this conviction that the world as they knew it was about to come to an end. But these scholars argue that they didn't believe that that meant the world was actually going to come to an end. It's just that the world as you know it was going to come to an end. And they didn't take these images literally. They were just ways of hyperbolically expressing, we're at the precipice of an absolute cataclysm. Or like when we say it's raining cats and dogs, we don't mean any of that literally. It's just an expression that says, man, it's really pouring outside. And so they, they use this language. It sounds cosmic, but in fact... It's usually used of national cataclysms, not of, of, of the whole globe. Um, and so you, you find that these symbols, these images, could be used of different events, even in the Bible. For example, we find a number of places where it says that the sun turned dark and, and the moon turned to blood and stars fell from the sky. And they apply that to the attack of, of Assyria on Israel and then to the attack of Babylon on Israel. And in none of those cases did the sun actually go dark or the moon turned to blood or stars fell from the sky or earthquakes and all the rest. But they use that language because they're saying the world as you know it was coming to an end. Peter in Acts 2 even uses it of the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit's poured out, he quotes the prophet Joel who uses this language, applying it to a, a, a judgment on, on, on Israel. But he, Peter says that um, the, the sun's turning, going dark and the moon's going to turn to blood and, and all the rest. And he's referring to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit's being poured out. Of course, the sun didn't actually go draw dark and the moon didn't turn to blood. But Peter was simply saying the world as, the, as we knew it is now about to end. There's a new age being ushered in here. Everything is changing. And so they use this kind of language by the end of the world. Oh, the world as you know it's coming to an end. You find a number of, of depictions of Yahweh riding in the clouds of glory. It's a standard symbol they use. And they didn't mean that they were going to literally see Yahweh on the clouds. It's just been coming with majesty and with power and with authority. And these scholars who hold this position, they argue that most of the New Testament imagery, apocalyptic imagery about the end of the world, the final judgment, the restoration of creation, most of that can be applied to Jerusalem between the years of 66 and 70 AD when Rome sieged Jerusalem. And it culminates in 70 AD when the temple's destroyed and Jerusalem's leveled and the Jews are banned from, from, from being there. They're exiled. And that was the end of the world as they knew it from a Jewish perspective. The whole sacrificial system, all of it came to an abrupt end. Uh, but it wasn't the literal end of the world. It was just the end of the world as they knew it. So if you hold to this interpretation, one great advantage of it is that you don't have to say that Jesus or his disciples were mistaken. 
They were, they, they, they were speaking, they were prophesying about this end of the world as they knew it that happened in 70 AD. But, even if you hold that they were mistaken, that they really believed that that was going to be the end of the world as a whole, now listen to this, it doesn't mean that they were wrong for believing it. And this brings me to the meaning that this language has for us, or can have for us today. Um, what if the posture that Jesus and the disciples illustrate uh, in, in their lives of anticipating God's breaking in, anticipating the, the world as they know it coming to an end, what if that's something that, that, that's how God wants his people to always live? Yearning for the ultimate justice of God that will come with the final judgment or the final justice. And living with the expectation that this could happen at any moment in all probability was going to happen in our lifetime. And see, here's the thing. While, while much of the New Testament imagery, maybe even most of it, uh, can apply to 70 AD, it can have other applications as well. As I've shown before, the, the, this imagery can have, be used in, in different ways because the world comes to an end as we know it in different ways for different people at different times and different nations and, and, and whatever. And so while it applies to 70 AD, it also applies to a time when God will, in fact, wrap up this, this, this current age. It applies to when God will, in fact, at some point, call an end to what is going on here. And Jesus will return, and, and there will be a final judgment, and then, the, then we'll have the, the new heavens and the new earth. And so all of this applies uh, to, to that even more so. In fact, you can see, often prophets, when they, when they prophesy things, they, they have an immediate application in their own context, but it also applies later on. Uh, one author described it as kind of looking at the top of mountain peaks. You can just see the tips. And, and so they speak about what's going to be happening to their nation, but it also applies in different ways, in different contexts. And ultimately it applies to when God wraps up this whole world as we know it and brings an end to establish his, his coming kingdom of God. That's something that we're supposed to be yearning for. In the New Testament, some of the imagery can only be applied to the end of world history. For example, when Paul says in Ephesians 1 that in the end, God will bring all things together. We have all things together into a perfect harmony under the headship of Christ. There's no way that that was fulfilled in 70 AD. That's referring to a cosmic thing. Paul says that the whole creation groans for the revelation of the children of God. It groans for this redemption. So there's a cosmic dimension to this that will someday be realized. And we're to be living, I believe, with the longing for that to happen and with the expectation that that can happen. So Jesus' parables, when he's talking about the need to be vigilant and awake and, 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 and preparing uh, because this thing could happen like a thief in the, night, in the night, that applies to us as much as it did to people in the first century, which means that this is how we're supposed to be, be, be living. We have a, this eager anticipation that, 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 that God's going to break into this world and right the world in our lifetime. God's going to be doing this bring about this purge in order to bring about the good news of the new heaven and the new earth. So try to put yourself in that mind frame. Now maybe some of you are already there. But imagine you believe that Jesus coming, which is wrapped up with the final judgment, which is wrapped up with the, bringing about the new heavens and the new earth, that this could happen in your lifetime. What does, that, what does that do for you? If you really believed that the world as you know it was going to come to an end in your lifetime, how would it affect you? Now, I think for a lot of folks, it would freak them out. And it's kind of understandable, because whatever else the world as we know it means, and I'm perfectly ambiguous, I don't know what all it means when we end the world as we know it. But one thing I do know is that the world as we knew it 
is going to be gone. And all of our security is usually found in familiarity. We like things. Maybe this world maybe is not perfect, but at least it's familiar. You know? And so the idea of getting rid of it all and we have a new world is kind of scary for folks. But what's interesting is that in the New Testament, no one's afraid of this. They don't have any kind of fear about this. In fact, they look forward to this. It's a positive thing for them. They yearn for it. Paul prays Maranatha in 1 Corinthians 16. Maranatha, which simply means, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You find that refrain, quickly, liberate this world. Bring about justice in this world. They yearn for this. Because see, they understood. This is where what we need to understand is that they understood that if you're going to get to the resurrection, you've got to go through Good Friday. They understood that, as Jesus taught in, in John 12, that unless the seed goes into the ground and is buried, it cannot bring forth life. They understood that suffering and death was a precursor to the bringing about the glorious reign of God. And while they didn't look forward to the suffering that would be involved in bringing, bringing about the end of the world as they knew it, they saw that as a stepping stone to what would be glorious. And they trusted in the, God's capacity as a judge. They trusted that, that God would always do the right thing. Uh, they trusted the promise that when all this is said and done, after all the mayhem is released, that it would be more than worth it. Paul goes so far as to say that the sufferings of this present age can't even be compared to the glory which God has in store for those who love him. Uh, it's unimaginable. But see, if we imagine that, then it's something that our heart yearns for. And we're going to be living with awareness of that. And, and, and so the question that they asked at the, in the later passages of the New Testament, how long before the Lord comes back? Well, the way Peter responds to that in 1 Peter 3 is he says, well, look, at God, God counts time differently than we do. A year for us is a thousand years for him, so it could be a while. But he, he says, be patient and live lives expecting this to happen. And so that applies to us today because it hasn't happened yet. So until the Lord returns and makes this world right, it's something that we're supposed to be looking for, anticipating, expecting. Now, I have to confess something to you. Um, I have not been living this way. I, I haven't lived with that expectation. Uh, I have uh, just sort of ignored that part of the New Testament. Uh, it, didn't, it, seemed, it didn't fit the world as I was experiencing it. Part of the reason is because when I first became a Christian in, in, in 1974, way back then, um, this was when Hal Lindsey had just come out with the book, Late Great Planet Earth. And, and it was an apocalypse. Apocaly At least the group that I converted into, they were very apocalyptic minded. I mean, we believe that we could be raptured. Some I mean, of you know what the term rapture is. It's the belief that Christians will be suctioned up into the air when Jesus returns on the clouds. Because they take the clouds literally. And so that will be kind of vacuum cleaned up in the air. And then the world will go through its cataclysm, the great tribulation, final judgment, and then the establishing of the new heaven and new earth. But we were really intense on this. We would witness to people by saying, are you ready for the rapture? And they're like, what? The rapture. Are you ready for it? And that was our witnessing tool. We just anticipated that. Now, I... I and man, we had the book of Revelations charted out. We, you know, Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. We we're certain of it. And, and we went through, you know, we, we had the whole thing just mapped out, all the details about how this thing was going to go down. There's a computer that they created over, over in Europe, we heard. It's called the Beast. And then they came up with those barcodes in 1975. And, oh, that's the mark of the Beast right there, okay? It's, it, obviously. And pretty soon they're going to be having it on our foreheads. I just so we, we lived with that intensity. That lasted for about a year. Um, I eventually sort of burned out on that, and um, I came to understand that, that reading the Bible that way, I don't think is an appropriate way to read the Bible. Reading the book of Revelation like it was tarot cards and you got to figure it all out. I, I really came to see that that is really misguided. 
And to be honest, I spent, I think, the next 40 years kind of mocking that. I'm poking fun at it, at least. Partly because I, 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 I think it hurts the credibility of Christianity, and so I want to kind of distance myself from that. But you know that whole Left Behind series and, and all that? What I'm now beginning to realize is that I, it's a classic case of throwing the, ba- the baby out with the bathwater. I throw out, throw out the, the theological true baby with the nonsense bathwater. I reacted against that, and I didn't want, any, I didn't want anything to do with, with, with anything dealing, dealing with end times. And, you know, I, 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 and I do disagree with it, and I really get disturbed by date setting and people getting weird with blood moons and all that kind of stuff. I don't have any time for that. But on the other hand, I now have to acknowledge that the expectation that the, the, these are sincere people who are simply trying to live out the New Testament faith, and the New Testament faith tells us to be living with this sense of expectation and yearning for God to wrap things up. And they're trying, now, they think the way they're going about this is wrong, but I've got to respect the fact that they are trying to do that, and they're living with this expectation, and that's more than I can say for me the last 40 years. So this is a classic case. <laughs> you got to love this. I just got through preaching on logs and specks, and I now find that I'm guilty of finding the theological speck in my brother's eye while ignoring the lifestyle log in my own. And so I want to apologize for that. Um, uh, it, there, there was, I think, arrogance uh, and pride uh, that was involved in that. And I, I, I intend to correct that, that, that omission. Not that I'm going to get crazy apocalyptic or anything wacko or anything like that. No. But just taking seriously this idea of living with expectation and anticipation. So when you imagine Jesus returning in the final judgment and establishing the new heaven and new earth in your lifetime, how does that make you feel? Now, if, if, if you're in, living in rebellion to, to, with God, if, if you're not right with God, there should be a little bit of fear that that creates in you. And if, if you're in that situation, I encourage you to turn from your self-centered lifestyle, put your trust in Jesus Christ. But if you're a believer, when you think about God wrapping this thing up, it should not bring about fear. It should rather produce in us, if we're thinking about it rightly, it should produce in us the same kind of encouragement, assurance, expectation, anticipation that the New Testament disciples had. If we're thinking about it the right way. It comes down to, do we, do we really trust God to be the judge, the good judge that he says he is? Now, it, 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 it's, of course, normal as you think about the world ending to grieve over the suffering that will be involved in that. As God allows the world to collapse under the weight of its own sin, there'll be this tremendous suffering. And, and we grieve over that. Jesus, as he's riding into Jerusalem in, in, in Luke 19, he's prophesying about this judgment that's coming on Jerusalem. Uh, we're... God's simply letting Israel suffer the consequences of its own rebellious decisions. And so now the Romans are going to invade and they're going to do some terrible, terrible stuff. And Jesus is crying as he's, as he's talking about this. And since Jesus is the perfect revelation of God, this shows you the heart of God when, they, when he has to bring judgments. He's not up there with some angry thunderbolt getting ready to smite people. He's grieving that this has got to take place. I'll say more about this in the weeks to come. And so there's an appropriate place where you grieve over the suffering that is going to be coming upon us. And you prepare yourself to suffer. But that, as I said, was not the end of the story for them. That was the beginning of the new story. This was the necessary precursor to bringing about the establishment of God's reign. And when God's reign is finally here, folks, when the world is finally the way God always wanted it to be, It will be glorious. It will be glorious. And the promise of God is that it will all be more than worth it. 
all the suffering will be rendered insignificant in light of this. Can we trust that? Can we believe that? Because if we really trust that, then, then the wrapping up of this, 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 this epic, if it were to happen in our lifetime, the world may go on for 10,000 more years. What do we know? But to live with a sense that you're working for this and you're yearning for this and expecting this, um, well, it, 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 it reframes everything. It, it reframes everything. And uh, um, uh, it reframes even the suffering that we go through. Because it means that God's love will define every square inch of the cosmos, praise God. It means that finally, all evil will be eradicated. And there'll be no more of this, the, the hostility and the hatred and all the other ugly stuff that's going on. No more war crimes. No more rapes. No more unjust hierarchies that de dehumanize the people at the bottom. No more. Finally, God's character will be re re reflected in every person and everything for all of creation. And that is the most glorious news imaginable. And that's what we're to be expecting, anticipating. And I encourage us to envision that. Spend time envisioning God's eternal kingdom, however beautiful you make that. Because that, see, that's the unshakable foundation. Uh, and and, and if, in, if in fact things continue to get worse at a faster and faster rate, you want to have that vision in front of you. Uh, the hope of glory, praise God. Because that's the one thing that will make it all worth it. Hallelujah. So I'm going to end with just talking about this lesson of the fig tree. Jesus says you'll see signs of this. He says, when, 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 when the branch begins to get soft and tender and it begins to, to, to blossom, you know summer's near. That's a sign. Now, people get all weird when it talks about sign, like they think it's got to be esoteric or occultic or, you know, ooh, you have some stellar thing going on or four blood moons or what have you. But the, the teaching is really simple. He's simply saying, look, it, you'll know summer's coming when summer-like things start to happen. When the, the bloom starts to happen, you know summer is near. When summer-like things start to happen. So also, you'll know the end of the world as you know it is near. When um, you start to see the, the end of the world as you know it start to happen. You, you, when you start to see destructive things happening, you know you're on a road towards destruction. When you see increasing chaos, you know you're on a road to, 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 to chaos. Um, these things carry a momentum with them. Now, sometimes they reverse themselves and go the other direction. But often they don't. And so Jesus says, keep your eyes open. Uh, when you see this happening, you know, the end is near. Be prepared for that. Our world, frankly, is beginning to feel like that. It, 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 it's feeling the increasing chaos, like we've turned a corner and we're going in a certain direction. And as I said, it may reverse itself and it may go on thousands of more years, but it also is the case that it could happen in our lifetime. And in fact, that's increasingly easy to imagine, <laughs> But that shouldn't be a terrible thing for us. Like, oh no. No, no this, if, we, if we are trusting God as the judge, even when the world's spinning out of control, can we trust that God, the judge, is still on his throne? And, 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 and when it seems like evil is winning, can we trust that in the end, God, after the Good Friday, there is a resurrection, praise God. Can we continue to keep our eyes on that and, and, and trust that as we move forward? It's not hard to imagine. And that reframes everything. Now, I'll, I'll be unpacking this more in the weeks to come, but... Uh, when, I, when I imagine myself believing that, that this could happen in my lifetime, I'm living with this New Testament expectation and anticipation. Here, here, here's what it should not do, and I'll say more about this later, but I don't want anyone 
canceling your retirement accounts. I don't want you to close down your 401ks. Uh, you know, it, it, it don't start wrecking about enormous debt because you think you're not going to have to pay it. Uh, this does not mean that, uh, oh, I guess, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket so we can just sort of check out on our responsibilities to try to make the world a better place and to be tried to fighting for justice. It doesn't mean that we can give up on caring for the earth and the animal kingdom. It doesn't mean that we can disengage from the world at all. It doesn't mean that we stop trying to make the world a better place. But what it does mean is we're aware of how temporary all this is. Living with awareness, it's so easy to fall into this, 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 this kind of stupor of believing that, that the world's going to just continue on forever and ever and ever. But it won't. And we already knew that. You know, we all know you could die at any moment and, and, and uh, you know, catastrophes can happen. But the New Testament encourages us to live with this expectation. It, 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 it just, you're aware of how temporary, everything you see around you, look around, everything will be gone at some point. And what that does for me, at least, and I encourage you to try this on this week, is it makes the choice of hope really clear. I, I'm either going to believe that this is all a meaningless nothingness that's going to end in, in, in catastrophe, or I believe that love is eternal. And I choose the second one. I want to live. Amen. I, 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 the, the choice is clear. Uh, I. My conviction is that the one thing, is you look around, everything is going to be gone. But the one thing we take with us, as I said two weeks ago, is that love. And that's the theme I'm going to keep coming back to. Love's the only thing that is eternal, and we are eternalized by growing in that love, praise God. And, and that's what will be part of the glorious kingdom when God wraps up this, this, this whole show. When's the world going to end? I don't know. But I'm learning how, I'm trying to learn how to live with that anticipation. And, and, and with that prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to see the world made right. I want to see justice done. I, I want to see your beauty put on display. I'm so tired of all this, this, this monotonous, broken record of crap that we've been seeing over and over again. And, and the, 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 the hatred and the violence and inability to, to even talk with one another and the pride and the arrogance and, and all of the, it's all around us and the racism and... You just get weary in the heart. Goes, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Set this world right. Let your love win. Let your love reign. Let your will be done finally on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. We're going to be living with that anticipation, with that passion. Amen. So this week, as you practice gaps, we added that S. And I want to keep it. But uh, be practicing gaps with the awareness. Try to stay aware of how temporary all this is. You don't cling to it. You know, let it go. I, I'm finding that it's easier to die to idolatry uh, when I live with this expectation. Um, I, I no longer care about my legacy very much. <laughs> if you really believe that, that this could happen in your lifetime, you don't worry about that. And, and many other things. And it creates actually a, 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 this, 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 this incredible peace in my heart. So G is, is, is uh, or, or A no, no, G is get all your life from Christ. I guess I can't spell. <laughs> I was going to say, this week instead of doing gaps, we're going to do apes. Uh, G, get all your life from Christ. A, agree with God about the unsurpassable worth of every person. P, pray for your enemies. S, steward well the earth and the animal kingdom that we were entrusted with. Let's go about this week practicing those things, aware of how temporary this is. Looking at it as, as, uh, as though God may in fact bring this thing to an end in our lifetimes. And if you're thinking right about it, that's not bad news. 
That's good news. Now, there's a lot of questions left unanswered. We'll get to that. Maybe some of you will ask Paul uh, this Friday. And so, because he's agreed to take all the tough ones. And so, okay, uh, I, we have prayer up front. If you're here this morning uh, and have any need that could use prayer, I encourage you to come forward and get prayer. If you're online, uh, you can get uh, prayer uh, online there. I encourage you to do that. Uh, don't forget, we've got uh, the Tuesday Muse cast uh, at, at 4 o'clock. Uh, where they go a little deeper into the message. And we have gathering groups. We encourage folks to be on those gathering groups. Get to meet people. Uh, we got some really cool people that are, are, are part of Wilton Hills. It's, it's just beautiful. And finally, if you're going to be here uh, on site next week, please let us know ahead of time so we can have enough folks in the children's area to make sure that your kids are being ministered, in the, in, in, ministered in the right way. As we leave here, can we do it with the hopeful expectation that Jesus is going to return? <laughs> oh, man. I feel like I, I, it makes me feel Pentecostal just saying that. Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's going to return. I have no idea what that's going to look like, but it's going to happen. Amen. Let's live with that, that anticipation. Anticipating God's loving victory as we go out and love on the world. God bless you guys. Love you. See you next week.